You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 112 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, I'm all right, Valerie, but the fact of the matter is Mm -hmm. that the house is in uproar yet again because we're painting Mm. two other rooms and so I'm sort of sitting here surrounded by a lot of stuff. Yeah, right. Stuff and um, the builder is in the next room painting as we speak are you doing painting well I've done some painting but mostly my job is all the other stuff so you know I do I do bits and pieces but uh I'm quite happy to leave the painting to him to be perfectly honest with you Uh, but I do have jobs oh I don't know never feels (laughs) like it's gone on for decades doesn't it um I think it will end in a couple of weeks. We'll have done all four. So the problem is we're doing the bedrooms and you've got to move everything out of of them to get them done. So then you end up with stuff everywhere. Um, But I think we'll be done soon for those. And then we'll stop. Then we'll stop for a while, I think, because I don't think I can cope with any more. And you? We're done with the painting, but we need to do picture hanging because, of course, I moved into my place almost a year ago now. Mm. Not quite a year ago. Not quite, but maybe um, 11 months ago. And do you think I've hung up my pictures yet? No, of course no. you haven't. They're sitting in piles, aren't they? Well, some are sitting in piles and some are, are hung up on the hooks that were left there by the previous owner. So oh. we've got all these random pictures that don't go at all with where oh. they're, you know. But we just oh. thought I'll just shove something up there. So I really need to call the picture hanging man. I was going to say, is there a man for that is there (laughs) is there someone who does that for you there is I believe his name's Brian because my friend Louisa gave me his number (laughs) where where do you find Brian what is he under in the phone book picture Uh, hanging man probably picture hanging man yeah on my to-do list I've got ring picture hanging man see I have a picture hanging man here He's currently painting, but once he's painted, he will then hang pictures. It's quite useful, really, to have your own in-house. He's also very good with an Allen key, which is also very Wow, very useful. (laughs) But all of it's impacting on my writing. And, of course, you know I've started my writer book with Al Challenge and I'm trying to get this thing. going? Well, it's, you know, we're hammering along pretty well. I've got about 13,500 words now. So we started on June 1 and, yeah, so it's, you know, I've, I'm managing, there's only been one day so far where I have just come up with a sum total of zero. Mm. I've had a couple of, you know, 400 word days, but, you know, I've also had a couple of 2000 word days. So it all averages out in the end. Um, but it's just about the showing up and there's, there's quite a crew that have joined me on this journey mm. and we're all sort of cheering each other on, which is lovely. Um, so yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's a bit of a challenge. Do you find that because you have this crew and because you start this hashtag writer book with Al, 
that you feel compelled to show up. Oh, the pressure. I cannot begin to tell you. Every single day I wake up and think I have to get, because I don't want to, you know, it's that whole thing if you don't want to, I have to post every day because people then post, you know, with me. So they're posting on my Facebook page, sharing what they've done and blah, blah, blah. Mm. So you want to post something, don't you? Which means you have to show up, which means you have to sit down. And and I have to say, I'm at a point in the book at the moment where I've just got no idea what's going on. Mm. So I feel like I'm writing, you know, words, whatever. And, you know, some of these words... I know I'm never, they're not going to be there in the final book. They won't be there and that's fine. But what they're allowing me to do, and this is how I use my first drafts, I guess it's all part of my process, is I'm finding the story as I go. Like I'm finding the threads as I go and it's just a matter of, oh, right, okay, I'll follow that one. So I know that some of it's just going to be backstory because that's, you know, that's been my experience in the past, but it allows me to get to know the characters as I write and I think that that's, you know, an invaluable thing. And then it's just a matter of going back because often, and I think I, I read this recently, there was a quote, but often you, you can't find the start of your story until you've written the end mm. and then you know what's, what you don't need. So, yes. you know, if, if you are a discovery writer like I am, then that's kind of how it works. So, um, you know, I'm writing a lot of words. Most of them will end up in the book. Like this is the other thing. I, From experience, I do know that I can trust the story enough to know that most of these words that I'm writing will end up in the book. Um, but there will be a percentage that will go and that's – you know, that's okay. That's just part of the process. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good on you for doing Write a Book with Al and good on everyone who is writing the book with Al. You know, yes, fantastic. good on you. Yeah. And thank you very much for your support. I feel like I've, you know, I'm being bolstered by the team. It's very mm. good. Mm. Well, we want to give a shout out to Clint Gregan today. Clint has left a review on iTunes for us and he has said a fan. He's called it a fan. And he has said, very good podcast. Most writing-related podcasts that I subscribe to are a little too salesy. This is one of the few writing-focused podcasts I listen to from start to finish every week. Valerie and Alison are clearly experienced writers, but most important to me is how they clearly, how clearly dedicated they are to the craft. Their passion is the real hook and the thing that keeps me coming back. Well, it's, our, it's our passion, Val. Yes, thank you, Clint. Yes, Clint, thank you. And, of course, Clint uh, writes a great blog, um, Reservoir Dad, which also uh, has is also a fantastic book, um, also called Reservoir yes. Dad, and has been a previous winner in the Best Australian Blogs competition. So he's an excellent writer, so go check out his blog if you, um, you want to have an insight into what it's like, into Clint's life, because it's, it's rather hilarious. It is rather hilarious. <laughs> it's quite an eye-opening experience. Yes. <laughs> so let's move on to the world of writing and blogging and publishing this week. Okay. Let's see. I let's do that. I have been reading of all things Inc, as in I-N-C, Inc, magazine. Mm. And this is a link that I've included in the show notes, which you can find at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. And it's called 17 Grammar Mistakes You Really Need to Stop Correcting Like Now. Right. (laughs) Yes, right. So, of course, as I say that, my computer has frozen and I can't look at the grammar mistakes. (laughs) Would you like me to share the grammar mistakes for you? I find this quite an interesting post, actually, because um, so we're talking uh, about – 
you know, obviously common grammar mistakes that people are likely to call you out on. I find people like to call you out on Facebook in particular oh, about these it. kinds of things. Mm. Um, so one of them is people using uh, him or her or his or her versus them or their. So instead oh, of yeah. saying, um, you know, it's uh, unfortunately we don't have a, a gender neutral singular possessive word in English, so mm. we'll use they instead of when it should be him or her um, or his or her is correct. And um, unfortunately what happens is that if you put this in, and I've had this experience because I do write the Facebook posts for the um, Australian Writers' Centre, and I tell you what, I have to think about every single word that I use so carefully, every comma. I don't use semicolons because I'm worried I'll get them wrong. And if I do, someone will tell me. And this is something I have noticed. And the things that they like to point out are the things that, um, I pointed out in this particular post things like who versus that, less versus mm, fewer, which of yes. course is one of Valerie's favourites. <laughs> I know. Me versus I, oh, the yes. whole, you know, oh, yes, nightmare. Um, oh, the two spaces after a full stop thing, oh. which I have to say does drive me nuts, so drive I will call nuts. you out on that. Yeah. Yes. Um, and there's quite a few things. But, do you know, I, I just also feel with this particular post that I, I don't understand why we have to stop calling people out on these things. I mean, yeah, I'm not exactly. going to do it on Facebook. I never do it publicly, but no. in my head, I'm correcting it. For sure. I agree. So there you go, Ink. Thanks for listing them. But it, this should really be like a how-to, not a stop calling people out on it. Mm. Yeah, because I, I, I think it's, I mean, I think it's good to know the rule. Like, I think it's really good to know the rules. If you're going to break them, understand them before you before you break them. Yes. But I also, I, as I said, I'm never going to call you out on Facebook over these things. I do not, you know, correct your emails when you send them to me or anything like that. I'm not going to send it back to you with red pen on it. I know some people who will, but it won't be me. Um, but I do notice, and I think it's important to notice because if you don't notice, then everything goes pear-shaped, right? Yes. The only time I will mention it to somebody, and I never do it publicly on social media, I might send them a DM, is if I feel that they might be embarrassed by that mistake. So, for example, someone tweeted the other day about some ad that she saw on television or wherever she saw the ad, and she said, oh, my goodness, what terrible grammar. But she spelt grammar (laughs) G-R-A-M-M. Yeah. Oh, oh that's really? Yeah. Oh, that is embarrassing. I would have probably mentioned that one too. Yes. Once so. I'd stopped laughing. <laughs> so I did DM her. She went, oh, my God, no. Yeah, look, I don't think you need to be a pedant, but I think it's important to at least understand that people have got it wrong. Yes, absolutely. So we'll put that link in the show notes. But another link that I found on Inc. as well was a link called This Redesigned Bookstore Without Any Books is the Smartest Thing You'll See Today. So it's very clever. It's actually a shop in Paris and Mm. basically it's a bookstore. Well, you can go buy books there, but you don't – there aren't any books. It's like a print-on-demand place. So basically you don't – you can't go there and browse the books like you would, like I do every weekend at my local bookshop and sit in the comfy chairs and have a coffee and, you know, read, you know, a few pages before you decide whether you want to buy the book or not because you kind of need to know and you select the book and it, it, it's, 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 a, it's called an espresso, no, espresso book machine. Mm. and um, it, on-demand books, which is the American company that manufactures the machine, chose the name Espresso Book Machine to highlight the machine's ability to make a book in just a few minutes. 
which wow. so you can kind of order your coffee by the t- by the time you get your coffee. You've got your book. Yeah, there you go. I guess it's a it's a pretty amazing. Um, I mean, it's an interesting concept. You have to know what you want before you go. But it's a great – it sort of opens up a lot of opportunities from a an indie publishing or self-publishing perspective, yes. um, right. making those books more available in print. Because I know that a lot of um, indie publishers do have a, a print-on-demand aspect to their books. Yes. But, you know, it's a matter of, you know, you get it – you have to order it via, you know, the website and then you're waiting for it to come or whatever. But this really would – um, well, it fast tracks it. It opens up a whole new range of possibilities there, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And mm. sometimes you just want the printed book as well, because for whatever reason. Because I love both ebooks and printed books, but sometimes you just don't want to carry around your e-reader, or you just want to you just want that book in your hand because you want to thumb through the pages. Or the way my mind works sometimes is I go, okay, I reckon that was around page ten, so I know I can. Mm. Click back to around page 10 to reread that passage or whatever mm. it is. Or just put a post-it note on it, Val. You know how much I love those. That's right. Yes. Post-it note on it. Mm. And it's really weird because I often think to myself, oh, I won't read that on the e-reader because I might want to underline things, but I never underline my books, ever. <laughs> so it's really stupid way of thinking, but anyway. Anyway, we'll just <laughs> leave that one right there on the table, shall we? We yeah. will leave that one. But one author who is cashing in on this crazy, crazy, crazy popularity of colouring in books for adults. Are they still going? Is that still a thing? They are still going. Like, go to your local newsagent or to, you know, even Woolworths. And right. at the checkout where there used to be New Idea and Women's Day and all of those trashy mags that you would just pop into your groceries, um, you know, as you went through the checkout, now there's colouring in books that you can supposedly just whack in there in case you want to colour on your way home. Because <laughs> that's going to happen, right? <laughs> yes, that's going to happen. So um, somebody who is cashing in on this is none other than the author of Fight Club, Chuck Palanyuk, I can't pronounce his name, but you know who I'm talking about because he wrote that very famous book. So he has released a colouring book for adults. Mm, Can you believe it? No, I can't. What's it about, Valerie? It's called Bait, as in B-A-I-T, Bait, Off-Colour Stories for You to Colour. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Off-Colour Stories for You to Colour. So, yeah, the book is a short story collection featuring eight brand-new stories written by the author, but it includes nearly 50 original illustrations by comic book artists for readers to colour. So, yes, oh, there are some words crazy. that go with it, but, you know. Yes, it's, it's but mostly little. it's just for colouring. Mm, so I'm looking go. at some of these illustrations and thinking that the colouring could be quite interesting. Yes, I know. And I, that's also if I can get past the first, get past the title because I can see the word colour spelled C-O-L-O-R and I just go, ooh, ooh. Oh, you just, don't you just go it's American? Oh, Come yeah, on, Val. I need to get over it. I know. Well, you do. I'm going to have to write this into that article that was on ink now. Yeah. We're going to have to go back and edit. <laughs> yes, we might. But you have a link for us about dialogue this week, don't you, Al? I do because we had a conversation and I can't exactly remember when because we have so many conversations, but there was a conversation recently where we were talking about dialogue tags and we were saying that, you know, said is generally 
the best you know possible dialogue tag you can have because yeah. your eye skims over it and then voila lo and behold up pops into my you know, feed a very good little um post on jackal jackal editing j-a-c-k-a-l mm. editing.com and it's called six dialogue habits that are killing your story and i thought genius this is exactly what we need to discuss with regards to the dialogue stuff we were talking about earlier so it's a little post um it's got six um six things that go wrong with dialogue it's written by an editor louise mm. Lilly. good mm-hmm. job louise yep. and it basically talks about you know that it you know dialogue can be hard to write um, but it can be tougher to read if you don't get it right and um, one of the things she talks about and this is something that you do see a lot particularly with new authors is what they call talking head syndrome Mm. where you've essentially got dialogue 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 without any tags no thought no action no description you've got no idea who's talking you've got no idea where they are you don't know what's going on there's nothing grounding the dialogue now what I really like about this post is that she not only gives you the problem but she gives you a very, very good detailed um, uh, explanation on how to fix it. Yes. And with examples, you know, and um, she's got a great little section here showing um, showing the talking heads to start with and then she will show you what, what you need to add to it to actually turn it into a scene mm. as opposed to, you know, just dialogue backwards and forwards. Um, the other thing that she has, which I think is another um, problem for new authors, is uh, she calls it keeping it too real. Mm. And this is where you've got, um, you know, the problem is that basically you're talking about, uh, you, you, you're having conversations between people in books, but they sound like actual conversations. So you've got, hi, <laughs> how's it going? Gee, it's been a long time. How have you been? Can I call you Sal? No, no, Sal's fine. The food was terrible. You know, that sounds horrible. Rather than getting to the how are you, like, showing everything with some action and then moving on to the main point of the scene, which is not those hi, how are you, fine, how are you sort of things that we have in everyday speech. You don't want everyday speech in a book. Everyday speech is boring, Boring. really. Boring, exactly. And it is a rookie mistake that I do Mm. see in a lot of new writers is way too much dialogue. And as you say, just having no dialogue tags where people, there's just you know, someone talking, someone talking, someone talking, someone talking, and you're not really sure who's talking. Mm. But it is a rookie mistake. So be careful. If you, if you look at your stories and see whether you've actually got too much dialogue in there mm. because it can be confusing for the reader. Yes, that's right. You need to ground it. Anyway, it's a great post. We'll put the yes. link in the show notes. Um, six dialogue habits that are killing your story, and it's on jackalediting.com. So well worth a read. So let's move on to our giveaway this week. It's our memoir mega pack month, remember? So until Mm. the 27th of June, you can enter this competition where you win five books and all of them are memoirs. And you can do that at writercentre.com.au slash win. And I love reading a good memoir because it's always fascinating to read stuff, real life stuff, real life um, things that have been happening, people's thoughts, people's perspectives on on Mm. what's been happening. So in this pack are The Media and the Massacre by Sonia Vomard, One Foot on the Podium by Don Elgin with Kevin Maloney, Truths, Half-Truths and Little White Lies by Nick Frost, In Other Words by Jhumpa Lahiri, and Eat, Pray, Love Made Me Do It, Life's Journeys Inspired by the Best-Selling Memoir with an intro by Elizabeth Gilbert. 
So if you do want to enter, make sure you go to writerscentercomau slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creativewriting. All right, so Al, are you ready for the word of the week? I have never been more ready, Val. I'm not sure um, how familiar you, you are with this word, but I probably, I learnt it when another friend of mine also called Alison. What? Yes. You have other friends called Alison? But she has one L. Oh, right. A-L-I-S-O-N. And she said, perhaps a little unkindly at the time, (laughs) referring to, you know, someone uh, (laughs) that we both knew, she said, oh, she's milk toast. Mm. And I went, what? (laughs) But she said, she's milk toast. And I went, milk toast? And I thought she meant some kind of breakfast cereal or something. (laughs) But she meant milk toast. It's M-I-L Q-U-E, toast, and that is one word, milk toast. And that's essentially when you're saying someone is milk toast, you're basically saying they're kind of timid and meek. And in her context, she was kind of saying this girl was a little bit beige and a little bit boring. Insipid, I think, is the word I always think of when I hear that word. I always think insipid. Insipid just Yes, which I think is also an excellent word. That would be my word of the week, all right? Right yeah, okay. insipid is your word of the week. Okay, two words of the week this week. <laughs> Both meaning exactly the same thing. <laughs> oh, we want to give a shout out to Cheryl Lynn Rodstead, who is at Busy Chic, the V-U-S-I-C-H-I-C, who, uh, this week, who got one of Al's quotes and put it into an Insta quote on Instagram. Well done, Cheryl. <laughs> I know, it's so funny. You're I had to like, laugh. You're like re- becoming really sage and wise with all of these oh, quotes when did this happen? out there. How could this be true? I've become an Insta quote machine. Yeah, I know. It's pretty good. All right. So let, we'll see what Al comes up this week. What words of wisdom are going to go onto an Insta quote this week? Okay. So, so far, I think not much, but <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let's move on to um, our writer in residence. Who's our writer in residence? Oh, this week I had the great pleasure of interviewing the rather fabulous Kylie Scott. Now, Kylie writes... Um, hot, hot romance, and she she is a massive, you know, international seller, um, totally down to earth. We had a terrific chat about a whole range of different things, and uh, just um, you know, really interesting because I think that you know, it's it's um, uh, you, I underestimate romance at your peril is all I have to say because you know, their Australian romance authors are doing the most amazing job. They are. They are kicking international goals. They are incredibly successful. And um, Kylie Scott is one of them. (laughs) 
Kylie Scott is the New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of the Stage Dive Super Hot Romance series, The Flesh series, and others. She was voted Australian Romance Writer of the Year in 2013 by the Australian Romance Writers Association, and her books have been translated into six different languages. Her latest book, Dirty, the first book in the Dive Bar series, was released in April 2016 and immediately shot up the New York Times bestseller list. Welcome to the program, Kylie. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's very exciting. I'm very excited <laughs> to have you. I've been watching your book um, just, uh, you know, on, on social media and stuff, your new book, and it's just going so amazingly well. It must be very exciting for you. It really is. It's It's been a wonderful release. It's been... Um, Dirty has been received really well by fans and everyone, and, yep, it's been awesome. Do you get a little bit nervous about putting out, a, like, a new series? Because I know that... You know, the Stage Dive series has been so popular and I know that you get asked a lot if you're ever going to do another one in that sort of, um, in that series. Um, you know, is putting out something new a little bit like, mm, I hope they'll like it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I was um, I was watching on, on Twitter another author was sort of saying, you know, this is my 10th book, but you, you never quite know if this is going to be the one that they're going to going to put in throw, throw into the fire and dance around it or something there's just no telling how things are going to be received so while we always hope for the best you just can't always tell oh okay all right so let's start from the beginning what was your um path to publication like how did we get to this point i was actually um operating a, a florist shop in a, a small oh. country town about um gee it must be nearly 10 years ago now and um, even though I'd have a good day, you'd still often have hours of free time. And so I thought, well, I've always wanted to write a book, so I've got to be in the shop and I've got the computer. I might as well make the time. And um, then I started doing... I, I did some courses with the Queensland Writers' Centre and read some manuals and I joined a critique group and then I worked with um, a mentor... And uh, then we started entering competitions, and that was sort of that was all over about six, six, seven years. Okay, and that was you were always writing romance the whole time. Um, I was. I started out doing more sort of urban fantasy, mm. and um, then I someone passed me a romance book, and um, I, I just, it just went from there. Okay, and so what was the first book that you ever had um, actually published? My first book was Flesh. That was a post-zombie apocalypse erotic romance. <laughs> okay. I know, but the zombies don't do anything. <laughs> Apart from eating people, the zombies do not do anything. <laughs> okay, that's an interesting thing. Um, and what, what year was that? When did that happen? That happened in um, 2012, I believe. All right, so not that long ago. No. Um, and I think that the book that really took off for you was a book called Lick. Is that correct? It is. We thought we were so clever with that name. We love our puns. Right. Love our puns. And it actually means guitar lick, but of yeah. course... But of course, yeah. Never mind. Yes. Never mind. <laughs> we, we were too clever for our own good, and so I've spent the last few years going, look, it's not that kind of lick. But, um... <laughs> kind of is really as well, though, isn't it? <laughs> it kind of is really as well. There's a little bit of that in there. All right. Uh, so hmm. how did that book come about? Like, what? Yeah. how did you go from post-apocalyptic zombie... <laughs> flesh-eating romance to um, to guitar licks and other licks. Well, that's the fantastic thing about romance. You can move between the subgenres. So 
I, I'd done two of the post-apocalyptic zombies and um, I just needed a break from that world. I wanted to do something a bit different. And so I went to Momentum, who were my publisher, and they were the digital experiment of Pan Macmillan Australia. They yeah. sadly just um, just closed, closed recently. down. Yeah. But yeah, they they did a fantastic job though. They've really brought digital publishing in Australia a long way. Mm. And um, so Joel Joel Mayan said to me, "Well, what, what what do you want to do?" And I said, "Well, actually, how would you like a contemporary romance um, set in the music world of rock stuff?" And he's like, "Bring it on." Um, I. I'm just saying, um, uh. <laughs> I, I grew up, probably like most people from my generation, Countdown, yeah. MTV, back yeah. when they used to play music, yeah. all these sort of things. So I, um, I play a bit of guitar myself and have been in a, a couple of uh, bands that mostly just played on back decks at, at parties. And, yeah, it, it was just a lot of fun. To get into that world. So you actually, I mean, the music thing is something that comes through in quite a few of your books. It's a, you know, it's a, it's particularly loud rock and roll. You're obviously a fan. Mm. I remember going to a romance writers conference about 10 years ago and being told quite adamantly to steer clear of musicians and sports stars. <laughs> so clearly things have changed. I think, you know, perhaps the fact that, um, that Momentum was publishing a whole range of different things, not just straight romance, might have been a good thing. Absolutely, because when, when I put Lookout, there had been a couple of more erotic romance sort of rock star books, but nothing that was a bit more in the medium. So it was there was a lot of um, interest in it, even from just when I was still writing, mm. to see what I, I would actually come up with. People, It was perfect timing. I was extremely lucky. Do you think that's what it was, that it was timing? Like in the sense, because it, it really went nuts right from the start, which is a, an unusual thing. Like for to stand out like that in that very crowded marketplace, you know, what do you yeah. think the key to that was? There's always that element in publishing. You can write a great book, but actually getting it into the right hands mm. so that people are talking about it and mm. building that buzz. And so much of that is just luck, yeah. unfortunately. Mm. Um, yeah, how to describe it? Because people, I, I, I don't, um, a, a bit of a reputation with the zombie books for doing something a bit different. Um, this was before The Walking Dead was yeah. really big. Yeah. And so qu- quite a few bloggers were interested to see what I'd do with a contemporary. Mm. So the zombie books um, really helped pave the way for me. Without them, I, I wouldn't have had the name where people were willing to take the risk. Mm. Like the fact that you had bloggers, you know, interested and then talking yeah. about it and all that sort of stuff, it does help sort of spread that word of mouth for you, doesn't it, before you start? Oh, it was a huge help. Mm. It really was. To have people on social media going, I just read this, you've got to read it. Mm. You, you can't pay for that no. kind of promotion. No, you Pure can't. Mm. <laughs> Fingers crossed luck. All right, so tell us about Dirty. Um, it's a new series for you what, like in, uh, with the Dive Bar series. What do you think are the biggest challenges about writing a romantic series? Like, you know, that's essentially what you've done with, um, with Stage Dive. They're kind of connected but not an ongoing saga, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to move away from the millionaires because money does solve a lot of problems. Mm. I wanted to bring it back down to um, a sort of medium-wage reality a bit more. Oh, Okay. And 
I think the hardest thing with writing a series is not letting your brain get lazy and sort of... If you, if you read sort of three books by an author in a row, you'll often see that they kind of have a recipe. There's, there's a map that they follow. Mm. And so even if that is just the beats when the plot turns, actually making sure that the plot points are different, mm. your themes are different in each book. So you, if, if it's a love at first sight one the first time, then you really need to bring in some new element the next mm. time with the different couples so that they're not all just sounding the same. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing because our brains can trick us. They're yeah. like, no, no, just, no, this is good. And then your <laughs> partner's there going, um, dude. <laughs> <laughs> You've so already done partners, this. Crip partners and pushing yourself to come through with new and interesting ideas. Really watching what you're doing is, is so important. And I think a, a fair amount of that is, it, it's practice, but, yeah, crit partners are invaluable. Great so you're still readers. working with partner. a crit partner now? Yes, I am. Mine is um, Joanna Wild. She's American-based and she writes motorcycle books. Right. She's, um, she's brilliant. She's actually an ex-journalist. Right. So she... That sounds like a weird sort of thing, isn't it? Ex-journalist. <laughs> I don't know. There's a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> she brings a really different eye to things, what she picks up on. Right. Um, that's another great thing with Crip Partners and Beta Readers. Everyone brings something new. Everyone sort of sees things differently. So having a couple of them, not just one, is a really good idea. So how do you factor that into your writing process? Are you, you know, are you allocating time for that that critique um, stage as far as, you know, when you're scheduling in your head how long something's going to take you and stuff like that? I try to, definitely, because I know that um, generally I do a lot better if I've worked through a portion of it with her. Okay. Because she just she pushes me. Yeah. She she really pushes and my agent is also a really great editor. Mm-hmm. And um, I've got a couple of fans that beta read for me. Right. I made sure that they they weren't afraid to slap me down if something didn't quite read right. right. Yeah. <laughs> but, so um, um, so you have these people read it. It comes back to you. You take on board the things that you feel. Are, are you know important and then it goes off to your publisher at that point is that how the process works i tend to sort of bring in um crit partners at about the midway point okay and again at the end so that if there's anything really wrong or um the, the plot isn't quite working the whole book isn't done yeah yeah that makes sense i can really weave through new plot points there and sort it out before I go further. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. So you've got like a team, which is great. Yes. Yeah. I think every author needs their posse. Yeah, I think so too. It's it's really important, whoever that, you know, whatever that's made up of, you definitely need those people around you who are going to support you and also tell you when it's all not working. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, today you sort of, we, I, I do the promotional pictures as well, so I've got a wonderful graphic designer, um, cover lady that I work with, and there's a photographer that I love, and it's it's really great how indie publishing has opened up all these different avenues. Yeah, definitely. And we can um, access them so easily. It's it's just brilliant. All right, so, who, so now that Momentum is not uh, publishing you, I, wh- wh- what's happening at that end of it for you? Uh, when Lick went big, I got um, handed upstairs 
and being in the uh, American market was extremely important to me because that's always sort of been a good 70 to 80% of my audience. So they talked to St. Martin's Press in America and to um, the UK arm of Macmillan and they worked together and put together a deal. I believe that was the first time that's ever happened. Mm. So I was extremely fortunate that they were everyone was so into the book and willing to work together and Mm. that's been brilliant for me. Fantastic. All right, so you have um, detailed sex scenes in your books. It's one of the, you know, one of your trademark sort of styles. Is that something that developed, you know, through the zombie books and things like that, or is that just the way your stories have always come out? Is that just, is that what you like to read, so that's what you like to write, or how does that work? Um, it, it did sort of develop. When I was first started writing, we've all got those horrible manuscripts under the bed. Mm. My... My great paranormal epic, which will probably never see the light of day unless I get some time and <laughs> rewrite it for Wattpad or something. By book number five, I'd really gotten into writing romance, and so I, I attempted my first sex scene. And I could have sworn the Pope was standing right behind me looking over my shoulder the entire time. <laughs> my, my shoulders were curled over. I, I should have been wearing a hood. I felt like I was up to this nefarious little terrible deeds on the computer. Um, but it just... It seemed like such an... If I was going to write about a couple, it seemed like such an important part of the relationship development. I, I'm cool with books. That sounds awful. You have my permission not to have sex scenes. <laughs> That's very <laughs> kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> I, just, I do like a well-written sex scene. Mm. I think it, it does add quite a lot. Relationships are so layers, how people relate to one another mm. as, as friends, as lovers. As, it's, it just it, it makes, um, it, it gives another added layer, which so I, let's I just, enjoy. Let's just talk about that, that a little bit more because, you know, you mm. said a well-written sex scene is, is, a, is a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. But there are, you know, they're not easy to write. It is not easy no, to write not. a well-written sex scene. Do you... <laughs> I've been there, I know. Do you find it difficult to come up with, crea- well, a, a creative sex scenes? Because, you know, you, that, it's about that mixing things up a little bit, as you talked about before, but also to kind of know, you know, that, you know, it's not sort of, you know, slot A meets tab B, you know, all the way mm. through. It's got to be something a little bit more to it. Like what, how do you how do you come up with sort of the different ways of going about it and what what is it that you think your readers are looking for in a sex scene is it about the emotion really is that where it comes from or what oh, most most definitely mm. it's how it fits in with the, the emotional story and development of the couple that was the big misunderstanding i think about 50 shades of gray was that it was porn for women <laughs> no not even remotely I mean, <laughs> if if that Cinderella story, this this wonderful story that got so many people back into reading, if it wasn't there supporting the sex scenes and developing, it just wouldn't have had any of half of that impact. Mm. I mean, yeah, I think it's it's silly for people just. They love writing off romance, but we won't go down that angle. I shan't no, rant. Oh, well, that's, you know, we could rant about that, couldn't we? Oh, could, but let's talk sex. Let's talk about sex far more. <laughs> uh, as, as with many things, I keep using the word layers, and I think that's another important one to look at with the sex scenes. The, the physicality needs to be different. Where, where, where are they doing it? Oh, my gosh. It, it can't always be missionary, obviously. No, clearly. But... Um, 
So that needs to be different. If the sex isn't furthering the story, then it has no place in the story. In romance, mm. uh, sex for sex sake, that's more erotica. Mm. So they need to be getting to know each other through this sex. It needs to be meaning something. Each time they hit the sheets, it's got to mean something different mm. and it needs to develop that relationship further. So there's the emotional side. There's how well they get to know each other, how well they get to know each other's bodies and where in the story we're up to. Um, what sort of emotional hit is this sex delivering? Is it angry sex? Is it happy sex? Is it, you know, I'm sorry sex? What, <laughs> what exactly is, is going on here? Why, why are they doing it? It has to have meaning. Does there also need to be, you know, as you said, it can't be missionary all the time. Does there also need to be an element of escape to it in the sense that, you know, many of the readers, and I won't get a tar everyone with the same brush, but many of the readers are possibly experiencing fairly missionary <laughs> vanilla and possibly looking for something that's a little bit more, you know, out there. Half of us have got kids sitting out in the TV <laughs> room. It's not easy. <laughs> I got a lock put on my bedroom door and it was when there was some... Um, building going on at the house and you should see me blushing tomato red going I just don't want the kids to be able to come in all the time I'm sure this poor guy's going lady I don't want to know I don't want to know <laughs> I'm just like, trying to sort of it's not to do with sex it's to do with other things yes. um look just put the lock up <laughs> <laughs> let's not talk about this anymore well speaking of children you have children um you know how does that work with your uh writing process and how do you fit it all in around them and how do they feel about mum writing sex scenes and oh my daughter she's 14 she doesn't want to know about it yeah fair enough. Uh, Occasionally, <laughs> occasionally, one of her friends will come up to her and say, I read one of your mum's books. And she'll go, mm-hmm. God, please don't. <laughs> I think she read one page once and went, no, that's too weird. Yeah. That's, that's just too weird. Yeah. Uh, my, my son, he's not the least bit interested in reading it, but he's very supportive and he sort of goes, how's the book going, mummy? Where, where are you up to? It's really great with them both in high school. You, you've got those hours during the day when they're away. They're, they're kind of, my husband also works at home, so oh, okay. they're pretty good about sort of leaving us up until four thirty, five o'clock, Less. and then we move into family time. Yeah. So. So you have two definite zones in your day of you know this is my work time and this is my family time. Yeah. Yeah, we do. All right, so just to go back briefly into the actual books themselves, um, readers seem to absolutely adore your heroes. Like, they seem to have really taken to your blokes, your tattooed blokes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Clearly the tattoos are very important. Do Do you think that writing a great hero is the key to winning hearts in this type of fiction? Is it, like, how important is he? He's very important. Um, it's kind of easy writing the heroes because as a heterosexual woman, I know what I want from my guy. You know, I, I, I know what I'm willing to put up with and not. Yeah. And there's always got to be that part where they mess up. But then there's the grovel, and the grovel is great. Yeah, yeah the grovel is excellent. So it's, it's the heroines give me headaches. Right. I don't know what women want. <laughs> um, They take me longer to really find their voice Mm. and to sort out exactly who they are. 
because another part of the lazy brain syndrome is making sure that your characters from book to book don't all sound the same. They've, they've got to want something different. They've got to have different motivations and things pulling and pushing them. Their family and friend experience and their work experience, they've all got to be different. Mm. Otherwise, you're just, you know, it's the same thing over mm. and over. Not mm. cool. So getting to the heart of that character, is, is that as part of your actual writing process, is that where you start? Like, I'm going to get to know these two characters and work out what it's all about and then I'm going to see what happens? Or do you plot them all out? Or how does that work as far as... Um, you know, do you just yeah. start writing because you've had an idea? How do you go about it? I start with the first scene. Okay. I, um, I have the first scene whole in my head, this idea of usually it's something horribly embarrassing <laughs> because what better way to expose people mm. than to throw them into the deep end? And then I usually match it with a trope that I'm interested in looking at, whether that be um, you know, surprise marriage or friends to lovers or whatever and then I'll start writing and um, also working at um, getting to know my characters. I do it a bit through the writing first but I'm sort of plodding along at the same time getting a feel for the story. Mm. Um, it's, it's, all, it's also with, with that trope and with that first scene what sort of characters would make this story the most dynamic and dramatic? Mm. Who, who would most definitely just be completely thrown in the deep end if they ended up in this situation? Who's, whose life would it, it make the most waves in? So I kind <laughs> of can I torture those, the most is basically... Who am I going to ruin your <laughs> life? Your life is over, as you know it. So That's I kind, kind of fun, isn't it, really? Oh, it's wonderful. I love that part, getting those first few chapters down. Yes. And, and this, this poor character is just flailing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wonderful. You can really expose people. Yes, the torturous aspect of being a writer. Mm. All right, so just moving on a little bit, about your sort of, you, you're quite active on social media. Like, how important is that engagement with your readers? I have a core group of fran fans mm -hmm. that, um, that stemmed off from my Kylie Scott author page. So I've got the Kylie Scott groupies. And they... I know. <laughs> and I, I came up you. with Joanna Wild junkies. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fun. We, we talk about music and movies and we talk about what we're reading and I tell them about what I'm working on and share bits. And so they're, it's, they're very supportive, mm. uh, the core group. They really keep... Um, the, the love going mm. I think I, I think um, you know to get a group of, of super fans for want of a better name not only to give you that support and that encouragement because I find the writing process can be so lonely mm. so to be able to stop now and then to go and go look I just wrote this bit what do you think and to get a bit of feedback straight on the spot of, ah, oh, this is going to be great, oh, rah, 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 can really keep you excited about the project as mm. well. Mm. I don't think there's much use for Twitter these days. I'm experimenting a bit with Wattpad. It's a, it seems to be a very different audience mm. to who... Uh, it's, it's a younger audience, isn't it? They really seem to be yes. teens and 20s. It's very interesting what's on there. So what are you doing on there? You're putting up bits and pieces of stuff? 
I actually bought back the rights to a couple of early short stories and I've been sharing them mm -hmm. just to see what kind of reaction I got. So that's been... That's been fun. It's been good. And do you find that, because um, I haven't actually spoken to any authors who've used you, you are my first, so great, hmm. I'm now about to um, exploit your knowledge. Um, oh, so are you finding that, like, are your thoughts on that to just, in, to, to just introduce your writing to a different audience and then hope that they will go looking for it elsewhere? Or, like, what is your, what, what do you think your, your main... Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I went, strategy there, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I went to a conference in um, Hawaii, I think it was in February, and they had people from iBooks and from Wattpad and from Kobo. And so it, it gave us a lot of new information about these things. And I was actually surprised by the amount of authors I know that are on Wattpad. Yeah. And so there's sharing excerpts from their books, deleted scenes and short stories and all these sort of things. Definitely it's... It's, I'm attempting to expand my audience um, because there are millions of people on there reading. Mm, mm. And if someone comes across you there and likes what they see, then they are more likely to look for you on Amazon or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I tend to think things like this, they're, they're free, so we may as well give them a go, see what kind of response we get from them if we like that medium or, you know, exactly yeah. what works for us. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. A hard to tell exactly if there's any crossover yeah. but at the end of the day some of these things are like well it's free it doesn't take that much time it's you know why not do it yeah have an experiment with it and see what mm. what it might do for you yeah cool did you do a lot of work on building your profile before your first book came out like is or was it you know had you sort of done much in the way of uh preparing? yeah <laughs> i I was um, writing a blog back then, and so I would write articles on writing and the writing life and TV and movies and whatever, mm -hmm. just um, sort of about twice a week, I think I did it, mm -hmm. just to try and build an audience who maybe, it was probably only a thousand people max, but to get some people used to my voice to see what the reaction was to it to get a few followers mm. and it was just good practice in general I think mm. because then I was tweeting that the new blog was up and I was settling myself into Facebook and sort of starting on a following just getting used to how everything operated mm. so it all hit me at once mm. yeah that makes that makes a great deal of sense and what are your favourite social media platforms as far as as far as it goes? You like you were just saying you don't think Twitter's that useful, um, yeah, or not as very, useful as it used to be, probably. Twitter's very there and gone, but you can catch some amazing, amazing. Um, there's a lot of talk about diversity mm. going on at the moment, and mm. there, there can be some great conversations going on there. I, I really enjoy Twitter, but it's a more of a fun thing, I think, than. Yep really great promotion facebook um tends to be the front runner yeah it, it's getting the clicks of course i'm not i've been doing a lot of boosting it's it's hard to tell exactly yeah how great the crossover is but i think i think doing giveaways is very important i try to do one a week mm. it's just a signed book yeah 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 it, it doesn't you know it's, it's not going to 
take an enormous amount of your time or your money to send yeah. a signed book somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But it really does keep those clicks and views turning yeah. over. Okay. So mm. you're very proactive about keeping yourself, you know, in in front of people. Yes. Yeah, I do... I do definitely try to keep that in mind so that when releases and things happen, you don't have to try to pull everything up the mountain and get something happening from that mm. time. Mm. The, the, the groundwork is already laid. People mm. are aware that things are coming and they're checking back. Cool. All right, and um, for our last question for today, we will ask the question that we ask everyone. Your three top tips for aspiring romance authors. My three top tips... You I can't award you, shouldn't I? <laughs> oh, that's okay. You can't go past Stephen King's "Read a Lot, Write a Lot." Yeah, I think that that teamed with um, working with a mentor. I, I worked with um, Louise Cusack. Oh, she right. was brilliant. She yeah. really helped me to focus and taught me a lot. Um, now I'm going to have a blank out on his name, but he is a Green writing, Doctor. Let me see if I can find. Sorry, okay. if I... I should have warned you. I usually go... remember to warn people. Uh, yes, brilliant feedback is so important. You've got to develop that tough skin. Yeah, okay. It sucks and it hurts, but you have to be open to feedback. It's the only way you'll develop. Which is why you continue to work with a crit partner. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It still hurts. Don't. It always be... hurts negative reviews pick one or two medium ones from people you kind of know a little bit about that they'll tell you what you're doing wrong <laughs> you can you can pick it up from there you don't need to read the i'll never get these hours back i hate her kill 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 you don't need that in your head <laughs> constructive criticism is everything so true, isn't it? You've got to find the happy medium because the five-star ones are probably your mum and the one-star ones, the one-star ones so are never going to get her. <laughs> Read the three stars and take it on board. <laughs> That's hilarious. Exactly. Right. exactly. And um, get active with your local writer centre. Go, go to workshops. There's so much knowledge out there. Are you still doing that sort of thing? Yeah, I love going to conventions for that. Mm. Conventions and conferences and listening to different panellists talk and I love that. Mm. It it really I find it really reinvigorates you as well. It gets you excited about being part of the writing world again. It does. You're you're yeah. so right. And remembering that you're it. part of a community of people that are all doing the same thing. It's very Absolutely. good. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that Michelangelo quote, I'm still learning. And that's yeah. the brilliant thing about writing. There is always going to be more to learn. And you don't not, books don't have to be perfect, but you need to take away some some new skill from every book. You need to be learning one thing from every book and moving on and getting that bit better. That's that's my firm belief. Now, that's good advice right there. All right, Kylie, well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been thank a you. wonderful chatting. I've very much enjoyed it, and uh, I've been actually telling myself to write to read your books for years, and now I'm even more super excited to get in there and have a crack. I might start with the latest and then move cool. backwards. So I, I will. Um, so thanks very much, and um, good luck with it all. I hope that it, uh, you know, cranks up the New York Times bestseller list even further. Great. Thank you very much, Alison.
Wow, I love the way she talks about, you know, the importance of building community and she's been so proactive in fostering that Facebook group. Yeah, well, you know, like I, I think it's an interesting thing that people can do and I, it's, um, you know, often authors are, are trying to find different ways to connect with readers and things like that. I mean, you know, open your own club. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> That's what she's essentially done, opened mm. her own club and, um, and people are, you know, flocking to join it. It's got a huge membership. She's doing, you know, she's doing great things and I think um, I, just, I just love her straightforward, you know, down-to-earth approach about the whole thing. It's like, you know, here I am, I'm doing my thing, I love what I do, and, you know, if I can take people along for the ride, well, that's great, and that's Brilliant. what she's doing. Yeah, it's great. Mm. All right, let's move on to our app pick of the week. Oh, okay, and? Oh, I love this app so much. Okay. I really do. You, I okay. only discovered I it. I can tell. You're passionate <laughs> about it. Clint yes. will be listening to your passion with great interest. Yes, Clint. This is, a, oh, oh, this is a great app. So I discovered it about six weeks ago. I have been using it nonstop ever since. It's actually, it's, we've got a really boring name. It's okay. called the Microsoft Snip Tool. <laughs> Stupid. So let so you're passionate about the Microsoft Snip, snip tool. tool, which mm-hmm. is distinct from the snipping tool, which comes with Microsoft Windows 10. I know mm-hmm. why they couldn't have called it different names. I do not know. Mm-hmm. But the Microsoft Snip tool, it's free and you just download it and start using it. And basically, you, there's a number of things. It can turn your screen into a whiteboard. And so you can just start drawing over it, you know, like like you would on a whiteboard. But that in itself is fine, but also you can press record and you can actually talk to whoever it is that you're whiteboarding to and while you're drawing and the whole thing's recorded and then you can share it um, to whoever it is that you want to share it to, um, you know, who might be on the other side of the world or in your same office or whatever, and it will send them a link where they can replay your voice and your scribbles. So that's number one thing it can do. The other thing, so that's great if you're just mapping out little mind maps that you want to explain to people or you're saying, you know, you're you're, you're showing people how a three-act structure might might play out and you want to draw the arc of a three-act structure. But also it can do a screenshot of your screen. So maybe you're building your author website and you're giving some feedback to the web developer that you want this to be pink and this to be blue and for this font to change and for this image to change. You can draw with a pen on to your screen so that you can indicate in various colours what, you know, what you're talking about, but you can record your voice while you're doing it. And again, it will, at the end, it will just upload it to a link and you can just send that link to your web developer. And I am obsessed with this tool. Okay. What are you using it for? Uh, well, examples like what I just gave you. Uh Yeah, absolutely. Just fantastic. Excellent. All right, sounds good. Mind mapping, showing people what you mean, drawing Mm -hmm. and talking at the same time. I'll send you one, Al, and you'll go, oh, my God. I'll I'll make a little uh, little thing. I'll, I'll, you know, record my voice and I will draw something for you and I will send it to you and you'll go, oh, okay, I get it now. I should have made a bigger deal out of it. I'm sorry. Was I sounding underwhelmed? That's not what I meant to do at all, Valerie. I'm very excited about your snip. You were sounding underwhelmed. I love this tool. Okay, I'm okay. We will go on, but everyone else, if you want to try it, let me know what you think because I love it to pieces. 
Okay. Send okay. me a snip. I'll be uh, right. I will send you a snip. Okay. All right. Let us move on to our working writer's tip. Okay. Well, I've got one this week because I, I put a call out on Facebook last week or the week before, I can't remember now, um, asking for questions because I wrote a, uh, another one of my Ask the Writer posts, which mm. I do on a semi-regular basis where people send me questions and I put them into a blog post and, um, and answer them. Um, so I'll put the link in the show notes to the latest one, which is uh, five new questions that I've just recently answered. Mm. But this particular question... Um, which it comes from Emily Hawker, uh, came via the Facebook page. And I just thought it was probably worth us having a little chat about because the idea of writing all this into a post was going to be an essay and I didn't want to go there. So the question is this, is it worth pitching to overseas publishers? Mm. Um, now, Emily's writing uh, for children. Her, the, in brackets, she has noticing that few Australian publishers accept unsolicited picture book manuscripts. Mm-hmm. If not some tips for finding an Australian agent. Now, that's obviously a question that you and I are both asked a million times, but I'd like to address the first one mm-hmm. first. Um, your thoughts. Is it worth pitching, you know, your, your manuscripts to overseas publishers? Is it worth pitching to overseas publishers? I think it depends entirely on your book mm. because, you know, if your book, say, is an Australian story that's just set in Australia, even though, of course, you can still pitch to an overseas publisher, you're going to get better luck in Australia. So it right. very much depends on, on the nature of your book and who your target audience is and whether you have a profile overseas. So, for example, a lot of fantasy authors, they do have big profiles overseas because it's such a big genre and especially if they go to, you know, those con- conventions, those genre conventions mm. that are around especially in America. So, yeah, it depends on your target market. Having said that, obviously Emily is must be interested in pitching picture books, I, I yes. would say. Yes, yes. Um, and while it's true that few Australian publishers accept unsolicited picture book manuscripts, that shouldn't stop you from pitching them and also from making sure that you have researched, fully researched, you know, other publishers that aren't necessarily part of the big five. Um, mm. I think we mentioned last week or the week before, um, in fact, three students, three graduates of the Writing Picture Books course have had success with EK Books or EK Publishing. Um, yes. And it's uh, Sally Fawcett's about to release her book, picture book with them. Susan Whelan has had her third picture book picked up with them. All of these are graduates. And Penny Harrison is also hasn't come out yet, <clears throat> but going to have her picture book come out with them. So... Um, you know, don't just because you hear that it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. No, that's right. And it's a matter of, again, it's, it's about doing your research. It's about looking for um, publishers that are doing the kinds of work, and this is overseas or here, mm-hmm. um, doing the kinds of work that you're writing. You know, it's, it's, if, an overseas, if you're writing the right manuscript, then an overseas publisher will fit, as you say. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're writing a particularly Australian story about an echidna who meets a koala <laughs> up a gum tree... <laughs> For example, then you know probably your best bet is going to be an Australian publisher. Yeah. So it's it comes down to your manuscript and and researching what's a, what's available. Now, one thing I did want to say to Emily is that if she's not already, um, if she's writing picture books and children's work, if she's not already subscribed to 
Buzzwords magazine, which is an, mm. um, a fortnightly e-zine which is put out by Di Bates um, and is a fantastic overview of the, um, of the children's book publishing scene, in, not only in Australia but also overseas. She lists overseas publishers, what they're looking for, um, how to contact them, all of those sorts of things. Um, I think it's like $48 for, you know, fortnightly for a year subscription for fortnightly um, updates. And I've been a subscriber for a couple of years now and it's really, really worthwhile just to keep in touch with what's going on, yeah. what people are looking for, what's getting published because she does an update on, you know, who people are, who are getting published. Authors share their their journeys, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and really, really worth um, the $48 a year that it, that it costs. So I would suggest that you do that you have a look at that. Um, now, part two of tips for finding an Australian agent, um, well, again, mm. it comes down to doing your research. It comes down to looking to see I, I like to look in the backs of books, acknowledgements yep, um, of the, of, for people. Um, so in the kinds of books that you're writing, look in the back of that book in the acknowledgements. Most authors will thank their agent um, if they have an agent. And so, you know, it, then it's a, then have a look at that agent's website. Who does that agent work for? What kinds of things are they looking for? Are they, you know, unfortunately picture books are difficult. I mean, we had Jacinta de Marse, um in a previous episode talking about um, – talking about picture books as part of her agenting business and she mm. does accept them but she's not accepting them at present. Mm. So, again, it's a matter of keeping an eye on those websites because as soon as those submissions open up, you want to be first in line. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So have you got any further thoughts on that, Valerie? Yeah, well, with that one, I agree, is um, look at the acknowledgements because you can certainly find out the names of agents that way, especially look in the acknowledgements of books that are similar to the kinds of books that you want to publish because then chances are that that agent will like your kind of book. Mm. Um, but once you find out the name of that agent, and it, it's, it's all about research, isn't it? You, mm. you, you find out the name of the agent, don't suddenly go, oh, my God, okay, I'm going to contact that agent tomorrow. Do some research first. Look at their website. Look at their social media. Look at their yes. Twitter stream. Yes. You know, look at what they talk about. Look at what they comment on. Um, look at uh, um, get on their radar without selling yourself first. So, you know, mm. just reply to them about when they post a picture about their cat or, you know, or whatever. Just start a conversation that's got nothing to do with selling your book to them in your first interaction because yeah. slowly over time as, they, as you start to interact and they get to know you and they get to know you're a normal person and you're not a freak or anything, then when you are ready to pitch your idea to them, you're not doing it cold. Yeah, I think that your um, name. They've seen your name and they've interacted with you in, in, in a really normal capacity. I was um, actually at a talk where this guy who he won the equivalent of The Apprentice in Asia mm. and um, he, this is a great example of the kind of research that helped him win. And what he did was he watched every single episode of The Apprentice ever in every country <laughs> And he, you know, watched, made sure he nailed down the format and the kinds of um, tasks that they would do and all that sort of stuff. But importantly, the person who was going to be the judge, you know, the equivalent of Donald Trump or Mark Burris or whoever in Asia, who was the CEO of a particular big Asian company, he watched every single YouTube video and every single interview that was available of that guy. He then had an Excel spreadsheet 
of the, the most commonly used phrases that guy said. And wow. he had this big Excel spreadsheet. So he committed to memory the kind of the, the, the phrases that he that this guy liked and the kinds of, you know, t- themes and topics that this guy was passionate about. And he made sure when he was in that room, when someone was about to be fired, he dropped the right words. And sure enough, he won The Apprentice and, you know, has um, had incredible opportunities since. But that's the kind of research that, you know, gets you places. Oh, that's intense. <laughs> intense. So you should be lurking on social media, following <laughs> the, the, your, the, your potential agent on Twitter, reflecting their phrasing back at them. Is that what you're saying, Val? Not necessarily. Are we but, stalking? You know, Is that what we're doing? <laughs> not necessarily. I'm just saying that don't go in cold without no. doing any research. No, that's right. You know, like if your story is about an echidna and this agent is hates echidnas, <laughs> maybe maybe pitch it to another agent first. Okay, let's move on to our platform building tip this week, which is a really good one. You've got one, Al. I do. And, and I was, it was brought to my mind this morning because I was approached last week by my sister, Maxabella, who is the editor at Mumtastic. And she contacted me and said to me, I really want to write a post about how to make an editor happy. She's the managing editor at Mumtastic. She deals with all the commissions. She has bloggers pitching her constantly. She has freelance writers pitching her constantly. And mm. um, she, um, she asked me if she could do a guest post on my blog because I, my, my blog is mostly about writing and is for writers, could she do a, blog, a, blog, a guest post there about this subject? And, of course, I said yes because this is a win-win situation for me. Absolutely. A, I, I don't have to write the post today. Hooray. And, um, and B, it's an interesting cross-promotional thing because she puts herself right squarely into my writing community yes. saying exactly what she is looking for um, when she is looking for content for Mumtastic, which is great for my community as well because they're interested to know how to, how to get their stories over the line. But it also brings her community to my blog because she she will share it through her um through her various social medias as well now i've done this in the past as well guest posting can be a very very useful way to really start to extend your network and to extend your brand and your and your profile because you are putting yourself into the middle of other people's um other people's blogging communities Um, but this does come with a caveat and i think that Mm. this is an important thing to think about Think very carefully about where you put your post. Yep. Would you agree with that, Valerie? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. What would be your tips for choosing the right place to put your guest post? Make sure you choose um, some an audience that you actually want to reach, because you can <laughs> you can actually go on one of the most popular blogs in Australia or guest post on one of the most popular blogs in Australia or the world or wherever, but it is irrelevant if their audience aren't the people who, you know, you want to reach or who you want to be in your community or you want to buy your book or whatever it is that mm. your objective is. And, mm. um, and I've seen that happen with people who have put their blog post onto heavily trafficked blogs, but because it wasn't their audience, it just didn't resonate with those readers and it didn't convert into people into their community as well. So I think That's you're absolutely right. right. I think guest posting is really, can be really, really useful, really, really valuable. But, yeah, you've got to choose the blog carefully that you want to appear on. 
You do, and I have to say that, like, because as I said, I've do, I've um, done quite a few guest posts over my blogging career because I've been writing my blog now for over well nearly seven years, and one thing that I did notice was like as as a children's author, some of my best possible guest posting arrangements have been with parenting bloggers, not Ooh. with book reviewers, not with writers, not with any of those things, but smack bang into the middle of a parenting community mm. um, and suddenly you're reaching the people who buy books for children. I mean, it makes perfect sense when you think about it, but the number of people that don't think sideways laterally like that um, is enormous. So yep. when you're thinking about where to put your guest post, you know, give some thought to who who are the people that you're trying to, to actually connect with and yeah. what are they reading and what are they looking for. Um, and then, of course, you need to write a fantastic post that is tailored for those people's requirements. So mm. that's, you know, that's a whole nother ball ballgame. But, um, but do give some thought to guest posting. It is an excellent way to actually, um, yeah, extend your brand, get yourself out there that little bit further into the community. Wonderful. All right, and for that and other platform building tips, of course, Alison's course, Build Your Author Platform, is absolutely fantastic. Got a really dynamic Facebook group happening for all the people who are doing or have done the course, mm. and they're all supporting each other. In terms I know, it's of, brilliant. I've, I've been watching so good. them all grow. It's fabulous. Yeah, in terms of their platform building tips and sharing other tips as well. So uh, if you're interested in that course, go to writerscentre.com.au slash platform to find out more about it. But that brings us almost to the end of this week's episode, Al. What are you doing in this coming week? Um, well, I will be writing a book with Al uh, <laughs> paint in, in between you know, painting jobs and other assorted bits and pieces that I'm doing. Um, and I have some corporate work to do this week, so I'll be doing that. Um, yeah, just, you know, just chugging along, doing my usual thing. And you, Val, are you off to speak to 20,000 people in the Philippines or anything? No, I'm not. But as I said, um, so what are you up to this week, Al? It occurred to me, oh, my God, I've got a deadline. Oh, no. It was like three days ago. Oh, no. Did you forget? (laughs) I don't know. I think I... I'm almost finished it on the plus side. So I think like I'm 95% there, but I just sort of forgot that I had to hand it in. So I've got to finish the 5% and make sure I send it, make sure it's right and send it off. So good thing I asked you or um, could have been even later. Oh no, Valerie. All right. Where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontate.com. You'll find me on Twitter at at Al Tate and you'll find me on Facebook at Alison Tate Writer. Fantastic. You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook, search for Valerie Koo. And um, on Snapchat, there are some days that I do absolutely nothing and some days that I do heaps. So I'm the Valerie Koo on Snapchat. (laughs) Excellent. But connect with us online. We would love to have a chat with you. Let us know what you think about the podcast. And we look forward to chatting to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.